I, I never use the word sales, I use the word partnerships. Partnerships and commercial growth. It, it removes the stigma. I find when I'm working, I, I learned pretty quickly that it was important to remove that stigma associated with sales or the feeling that you're asking somebody for money. So I like to talk in terms of partnership. With regard to the changes that the pandemic has done, I think we have to accept that this is just, this is our new reality and we don't know how long it's going to go for. So we have to find ways of making it work and we have to find ways to generate commercial growth. Welcome to the Job Hunting Podcast, a weekly resource to help you job hunt and advance in your career. I'm your host, Renata Bernardi, a former CEO and senior executive turned career coach and job hunting expert. I'm helping you earn more, become more employable, and achieve your career goals faster with less stress and less guesswork. Do you want to get my client's job search starter pack? Go to my website, renatabernardi.com, and download it now. Start making successful plans for your future. Now sit back, relax, and let's dive right in. Rarely I read a non-fiction book that's unputdownable. <laughs> Have you re- read a non-fiction book that feels like fiction and you want the protagonist to win and you want the protagonist to do better and feel better and... It's just that kind of book that I'm talking about today. It's Peta Sichev's My Beautiful Mess. And it's about her time working in sales and what it did to her and how it made her an, an amazing uh, professional, but also burnt her out. And what she did then to overcome that transition and be successful in the next stage of her career. I've often found that management and sales are possibly the two most transferable skills that professionals have. However, they tend to turn their noses to both those great transferable skills. Management has been superseded by leadership, and we tend to use leadership everywhere in our resumes, in our LinkedIn profiles, and how we talk about ourselves. But management is so much easier to explain. Have you managed teams, projects, how big, how much you know, what what budget, and so on. And sales is such a great transferable skill that actually adds to the company's growth and achieves KPIs. And it's such a commercial and great way to operate in the corporate sector. However, people often tell me, I mean marketing, but I don't do sales or I am, you know, an executive, but I don't like to work in sales. Opting out of sales is, in my view, a big mistake. And I'd love to hopefully work with clients that want to work in sales. So when I heard Peta speak recently, I immediately invited her to be a guest on my podcast. She is a sales coach helping businesses and professionals 
build great partnerships and grow commercially and become more purposeful. And she is such a holistic professional and coach. And I'm so interested in her as a person after reading her book. So she sent me her book, My Beautiful Mess, which she just finished writing. And she has a promotion for you. So if you want the book, we have a code in the episode show notes for you to use at checkout. I completely, totally recommend this book for everybody, even if you're not in sales, because it's about her career transition and what she went through to actually get to the other side. And it's a great story for starters and also a great reference book because she provides so many great other books for you to refer to after the end of at the end of each of her chapters she will give you a list of books that you can go and buy or read or articles that you can read as well um, to progress your learning on that specific topic so it is a great read I found it super easy to read. I read it in just a couple of seatings, frankly, because not because I had to interview her for the podcast, but because it was so, so good. And right at the beginning, the first chapter just blew my mind. I I was not expecting how it ended. And it just became almost like a fiction book. I just wanted to know what happened to her. It was so, so interesting. So in this episode, we will talk about sales or as Peter likes to call it, uh, relationship building, partnership building, commercially growing businesses. She is, uh, she often references this in the interview and she's quite particular about not using that word because of the stigma around it, as I mentioned before. But this is also an episode for everybody that works in a very competitive industry, for people that work in different types of sales, people that are building relationships for for a living that work with very long-term sales cycles, that work in high-performance teams, and that basically have work in industries um, where the stakes are really high. There's a very high risk, and it's basically life or death situations. So I think that that would be a great listen for people interested in, in those sort of um, conversations. Peter started off selling Viagra. And she quickly moved to medical devices and worked with some of the most outstanding spinal surgeons in Australia, uh, being part of their team, attending every single uh, surgery and being really instrumental in supporting those surgeries in being successful. Peta eventually burnt out big time. That's why she wrote her book. Peta often writes also for Thrive Global. She has um, several articles in that platform and you can find them by going to Thrive Global or going to her LinkedIn account. And she has links there to all of those articles. So if you're not getting an entire book, at least um, read some of those articles. I'll have a link below in the episode show notes as well. I have a promotion for you. As you know, I love getting reviews for this podcast. So if you like this episode and you want to read Peta's book, please write me a review 
in whichever platform you found us. iTunes is one that I often reference because it's where I listen to my pod, my podcast and it has a ranking system and a, a review format that I'm familiar with. But if you're listening to this in another uh, platform, please find a way to write me a review send it to me, please. And um, you can DM me, you can send me a private message, you can email me, there's always a link to my email in the episode show notes. Send also your address and your email. And for the first three uh, listeners that write me a review, you will get a free copy of Peter's book sent to you. It will be my pleasure to send you a book because I'm sure you're going to love it. So without further ado, here is my interview with the lovely Petta. Please enjoy. I started working in pharmaceutical sales. My first sales job was with Pfizer Pharmaceuticals um, and Selen Viagra in southeast Queensland. So that was a very interesting conversation to have um, as a female, you know, 20 plus years ago now. Uh, selling to all male customers and GPs. Um, I learned very quickly that I had to get over any feeling of intimidation that I may have had um, and really take my job seriously and step up professionally and set some boundaries very, very quickly in terms of, you know, how I wanted to be described by those who I sold to. Um, So from a sales perspective, it wasn't very difficult, given it was the first pharmaceutical of its kind on the market. But I, I soon found that the pharmaceutical cell in itself wasn't particularly challenging for me. But what I learned through the training and the sales training that I had with Pfizer, which was very structured, I still to this day carry with me and remember it was absolutely brilliant. I stumbled across, and I talk about this in my book and in my story, wanting greater challenge, I then thought, you know, medical devices is the next logical step within this pathway. And I went on to work for a small distributor selling vacuum-assisted wound care products, which was fascinating um, and quite, again, there's some stories there in the book which talk about the type of work I did. So it's high-end uh, wound care dressings that, that, um, that I sold And in particular, a lot of the work I did was with burns patients, um, trauma patients, chronic wounds, the worst of the worst. It was a hard chapter for me to read. At times I did this, which was ridiculous because there was no visual, but I just couldn't help but putting my my hand in front of my eyes because it was tough. It It must have been so hard for you. Yeah, I found it really difficult. And as someone who doesn't have any nursing qualifications, you'd be spending all of your time in ICU um, and around burns patients, particularly um, in the aftermath of the Bali bombing. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of my earlier weeks in the job. And um, that was emotionally incredibly difficult, incredibly difficult for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that really hard to deal with. But um certainly learned an enormous amount about myself and an enormous amount about the importance of connecting with people as well. So, you know, I I really, what I think I learned, the lesson I learned from that chapter, it was a reasonably short chapter, it was a couple of years professionally, was um, I loved that environment. I did love the clinical environment. So that was, um, you know, another 
another lesson learned and another um, part of my my adventure and my exploration and my career journey. And an opportunity became available um, to go and interview for an organisation called Striker. Again, very large global company um, in the medical device industry and specifically in their spinal prosthesis division. So, yeah, I was successful in getting that role. I held that role for 13 years and what that role entailed essentially was selling spinal prosthesis and computer-assisted navigation solutions, which to your listeners, um, particularly those who are not in the clinical environment, is probably robotics is the best way to describe it, albeit technically it is one step away from that. But essentially I looked after the needs of, of 20 of Melbourne spinal surgeons, the spinal prosthesis needs. So I worked when they worked, when they had a patient who presented that needed spinal surgery that required, for example, screws and rods, you know, to stabilise their spine, that was our equipment. So we mm. would troubleshoot those cases with the surgeon. Um, we would attend every surgery, myself and my team, um, and we were almost a little bit like the walking, talking instruction manual for our product. Wow. Um, it yeah. was really fascinating. And as you can imagine, patients don't present between nine and five. Um, so it really it was a role that required me to be on call and work when the surgeons worked, which um, over the course of my career really was 24-7. You just had to be available all the time, um, particularly working in both public and private hospitals. So just, I, I have a friend that has lots of screws in his back, and I was wondering if yeah. you were there. <laughs> he has had Maybe many not. surgeries. Yeah. yeah, sure. Look, it's a highly competitive industry, um, particularly now. Back when I started in 2003, it was less so. Mm. Um, but technology has advanced so much now, which is, is fabulous in that it is um, the, the outcomes are so much better for patients. Yeah. Um, and But, yeah, it is a highly competitive industry, which from a sales perspective, um, it was really interesting when I first started compared to when I finished 13 years later, you know, that competitive pressure was certainly there and, and learning how to manage that was, was a really integral part of um, being successful in the job. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a different type of sales uh, profession, isn't it? Because it's more of a... Um, um, I would call it more of a subscription or a membership or a, a long-term engagement, almost similarly to, you know, the sort of relationship that um, somebody that takes care of investment solutions for, you know, families or trusts would have to have. It, it is yeah. long-term and it means that you get to know your clients really well. You work together with them um, it's um, fascinating. I had never heard of that before. I mean, you kind of know these things happen, but you don't actually know how the day-to-day -day of working yeah. like that uh, means. And now that I know yeah. more, I'm fascinated. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, it is really, it's really interesting that you say that, Renata, because when I left the industry, I deliberately went and sought out work in a totally different industry, which I chose, which was professional sport. And a part of that was to prove that my, to prove to myself that my skills were transferable, but also I just needed a break from it. Um, I, I needed, I just needed to switch off and to not 
be in a hospital, to not have to have my clinical brain on, mm-hmm. um, and to mingle with different people. And as I met leaders in or, or anybody um, within different industries, you know, they'd never heard of the organisation I worked for. They never knew that the job even existed. And mm-hmm. when you're in the industry itself, I mean, you would think that everybody would know about it. It, yeah. it was a that was a really fascinating observation for me. So having to describe what I did in a way that people who aren't clinical could understand was something I found myself doing a lot. Mm. Um, and what it also really did was enable me to, to go back. I, I had to describe or I had to really understand what value I could offer. So diving in and unpicking that role and soon realising that you know, it was an education in life that I had when doing that role. Um, you know, you're working from a sales perspective. Um, you know, you're de- you have to you have to be able to connect and develop trust very quickly and trusted partnerships very quickly. You have to be able to manage the clinical environment of the operating room and everything that that entails, mm. um, which is a very unusual environment to, um, to work within. Let's say if you had been a client of mine uh, back in the mm. day and you were hoping to leave that industry, some clients, in fact, after, especially uh, because of lockdown and the pandemic, their industries have disappeared. Like there's yeah. nothing there. So if no. you had come to me and you weren't, uh, you know, I, I mean, you were keen to kind of focus on the strengths and the, the, the transferable skills, I would have probably brainstormed with you ideas such as, okay, have you considered working in the financial sector in this sort of investment portfolios, managing those? Because <laughs> people may not like what I'm going to say. You are probably very good at dealing with narcissists. <laughs> I say this because I have a lot of doctors and surgeons in my family, so I can say this uh, (laughs) with knowledge and hopefully my uncles and, uh, and, and, you know, people in my family. (laughs) Um, But you know what I mean? Like these are tough personalities Mm. to work with. They're really uh, perfectionists as well. There's very little room for error. And when you're dealing with multi-billionaires and they have the sort of finances that need to be managed a certain way, that relationship is all going. Sometimes also, you know, if they're looking at philanthropic endeavors or social enterprises or, you know, thinking about ethical investments, they really need to trust the person they're talking to. And you are the go-between. So there, there's a, an important relationship there that needs to be managed over time. And at times you would bring in the the tech experts, the, the actual, you know, behind the scenes guys or women that do mm. all the investments to that meeting. But that relationship needs to be managed really carefully and tactfully. And you would probably be suitable for that. Yeah, long-term memberships, you know, um, places that have professional or, or industry associations that are members for a long period of time, that have lots of um, political or policy interests that they need to preserve and lobby for, you would be good for those things as well. I'm like, yeah. oh, I, I could place her in a whole bunch of different things. <laughs> Do you know, it's really, uh, yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. Um, there's quite a bit that springs to mind. And you used the word very earlier at the 
beginning of our recording here around partnership. And I very rarely, if ever I was asked what I did, I'd very rarely say I'm in sales um, because it just didn't do the job justice. And what the, the linchpin of success in a role like what I used to do is around the partnership that you develop. And you're right. I mean, you are dealing with very complex personalities in a very unusual working environment, but also you're dealing with individuals and not just the surgeon. I mean, there's their entire team um, there. And when you see them work together like a well-oiled machine, it is quite incredible to watch. Um, it is a high-performance team, which is one reason why what happens in an operating room is often likened to um, a professional sporting environment or the cockpit of a commercial airliner, for example, yeah. the way that they work and the risk that they're dealing with, with which is the vulnerable patient who it is yeah. that, they, that they are operating on. But you're dealing with those personalities in time sometimes um, or occasionally in times of extreme stress. Um, So it's not just the complexity of the personality. It's you think about yourself, um, you know, the situations or when you were last, last time you were incredibly stressed and how you reacted and, you know, and you think about what's at stake. So, you know, take that in the operating room environment and you're still having to actually work through an operation and understand what's in front of you and anticipate what's going to happen next and to be able to service this, this case, as we used to call them, or, or surgery and stay very focused on what you're doing. And, and that's where I referred to earlier about an education in life. I mean, you really do, you build a resilience, you build um, the communication skills you know, you're because you're working in an environment where you can't touch anything. So everything you do has to be how you articulate um, or instruct has to be through articulation. So it's a really interesting environment to work in. But to your point is I think, you know, what I learned very quickly was everybody in that room is on a level playing field. Everybody at the end of the day, regardless of your title, is a human being. And I think the sooner that I realised, as soon as I realised that and the intimidation or the fear sort of melted away, that's when I really started to form great partnerships with people. And I think that's the same across all industry and across all businesses to remember that, um, you know, regardless of the title, regardless of the personality you're dealing with, at the end of the day, there is a human being under all of that or beneath all of that who is a part of nature like any one of us. Um, And I think that's something that we all lose sight of um, very, very quickly. And it's not given the importance or the emphasis or coached as much as what it should be. Yes, that's so interesting, because I agree. And I think that that's, you know, as somebody who also worked in business development and relationship management sales, I feel like I I have. But the funny thing about it is, I'm not from Australia. So at mm. the beginning of my career in Australia, I would meet important people and not 
have any idea who they were. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> so I had no yeah. option but to treat them exactly as I would treat anybody else. And I remember yeah. walking out of a meeting uh, one day with my manager and she was so flustered and I'm like, what's going on? And she said, do you know who we, who we just met? And I'm like, no, we, we, we know who is, you know, oh, it's such and such. And I, and she, you were so calm. And I said, yes, it's because I have no idea who you're talking about. So yeah. in a way, <laughs> it helped me form those partnerships and engage well with people because I didn't have any jitters or nervousness about meeting. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, um, it's interesting. I have a number of dear friends now who, um, who are specialists or um, medical specialists and, you know, They'll often say to me, no one ever talks to me the way that you do. <laughs> I'm like, really? Yeah. Um, I'm like, well, I'm not going to sit here and tell you how good you are because that's not who I am as a person. I'm actually a curious person. I'd actually like to understand you and the person you are behind, you know, the title or the popular name or, or whatever it might be. That's mm -hmm. much more important to me um, and the connection that we can build as opposed to what you do. It's, it's who you are. Yes. No. Um, but I think another another sort of um, shadow that's always, you know, waiting on people in sales is the fact that so much of their income comes from bonuses and yeah. the KPIs that they need to meet. And that can sometimes translate into the way that they relate with people. You can almost mm. tell that they're really desperate or they really, you know, haven't met their KPIs yeah. yet, that they really want that sale. And it, and it translates in the way that they speak. It translates into their body language. I wonder if you have as a coach or as a professional dealt with that and how do you actually manage mm. that? Because it must be really hard. Yeah, yeah, it's, it is really difficult. And I think what's difficult is you're trying to, in fact, one of um He was the past president of the organization I used to work for, and he wrote a beautiful testimonial about the book, which I posted on my website. And he said, you know, as a salesperson within the medical device industry, for example, you're juggling the clinical needs, you're juggling the personalities, you're juggling that process in building a partnership, but you're also juggling the corporate demands behind you and the targets that you have to hit. And I've thought about this a lot since I've um since I've left the industry and I as much as I was focused on the number and I knew the run rate that I had to hit and I don't think it influenced I've, I don't I very rarely let it influence my day-to-day -day activity mm. in terms of how I sold um, if that makes sense yes. I wanted to keep coming back to what was most important to me was how my customers would describe me and my integrity in the role. So if I could really understand and focus on the partnership that I was creating and um, I, if I did that well, and a very big part of what we did in the role was educating surgeons in the evolution of new technology. So when there would be a new innovation um, with our technology, I one of the things I routinely did or exercises I routinely did was take a surgeon overseas to the United States. We would observe that new technology in the hands of another surgeon over there and then we would go on and do a workshop, a cadaveric workshop, where they, the surgeon could play with it within that environment. 
we'd come back to Australia and then when the technology was available here, we would integrate that into their operating room and train their team. That was a really big part of, of what I did. And that's the way the surgeons actually learnt new techniques through innovation, was through industry, was through us. So developing that partnership and doing that well, I always found that if I focused on that, the numbers are a byproduct. The numbers would come. The moment that I think the moment that I would start to think otherwise, it would be the moment I would say to myself now, and this didn't really happen to me at the time within the industry, um, but I think now, and what I observe in the people I coach, the moment that starts happening, I think you've got to dive a little bit deeper and unpack exactly what it is you're doing, the sense of purpose behind what you're doing and where it is you're going and maybe ask yourself a few questions around, am I in the right place right now? Yeah. Or is this the right role for me or am I tackling it the right way? Yeah. Um, I think that if we're too focused on the transaction and we're too focused on hitting the number and getting the sales through and the, the purchase orders through by the end of the month, we lose sight of what it is that we represent and we at the detriment often of the partnerships that we're trying to build. Yes. No, um, that's I I've think always it comes from the fact that you also in your book describes yourself as an endurance, like a marathon yeah. athlete rather than a sprinter. And, I, you know, I, I could relate yeah. to that as well because the short-termism of some of KPIs, and, and we talk about politics a lot and politicians being very short-term minded but also CEOs and the way that you know shares and shareholders um, pressure organizations to um, do things in certain way that might not be good sustainable in the long term we we need to start shifting our minds and if it needs to be from mm. the ground up from people like you speaking up and acting the way that you mm. do training others to be like you I think that that um, certainly helps another mm. thing that uh, really is a challenge for professionals like you is coming out of that industry and having to cope with potentially a lower income, which you yeah. discussed in your book as well. I um, I'm very interested to know how you overcame that. Um, I have a, a short workshop that people can do on demand. It's called Reset Your Career. And it's called Reset Your Career for that reason. You know, it's not really mm -hmm. just about changing professions or taking your career in a different direction. It's considering what lifestyle you will need to adopt, yeah. aka budget, <laughs> to yeah. actually yeah. take you from, let's say, being a, a, a high-performing professional that has, you know, an income that is, you know, X times three to being a very potentially happier professional with a more flexible lifestyle with an income that's one third of that. So yeah, making those adjustments is really important. How did you um, leave your profession? Tell us how it happened. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, look, in the end, I, and I guess a little bit of backstory, which obviously this is exactly what my book is about. Um, I left my profession. I'm a single mum and I 
I left my profession because I totally burnt out. And I realised over the course of probably the 12 months prior to resigning that what I was doing was not working. And until I made a change, um, it was going to continue not working. And in fact, it was going to get worse, which it did. And I found myself hitting a point of just, I actually hit a particular point where I physically couldn't go to work and it would physically make, it, uh, there was a particular day that comes to mind where I was sitting in my car and I, I went to go to work and I couldn't. I was physically ill. I couldn't stop shaking. I couldn't stop crying. I just had this visceral reaction to, to trying to make myself do something that was no longer serving me well. And it's not that I didn't enjoy parts of the job. Um, I, I absolutely loved my job or I wouldn't have done it for that, that long. It was a great fit for me as a person for a very long time. But for a number of reasons that, that I explain, um, you know, and I hold myself entirely accountable for as well, it wasn't serving me well and it wasn't serving my son well anymore. So leaving for me was something that I felt in the end I probably didn't really have a choice. Um, you know, it was the only option. I wasn't really sure what I was going to do, but something I always said to myself was, and I'd said this to myself for years, that, you know, working within the industry, this is my one time at this gig. Um, I'm going to do it really, really well. And, and then that will be it. I will be moving on from the industry in that particular role rather than moving, you know, to another similar role with a different company or what have you that just wasn't of interest to me at the time. So I moved on because I burnt out and it was very difficult to move on, um, both emotionally, mentally. It wasn't easy for my organisation at the time either. And, you know, I spent quite a bit of time, actually took some long service leave um, to see whether or not at the end of that period of time I was in a, would be in a better place to come back to work um, and I decided during that time that that um, intuitive feeling I had that this wasn't right was still not right. So it was great to have the break and it was probably a bit of a softer landing but how I felt, uh, that niggle I had, that didn't change. Yeah. What did happen during that time was I started to, to realise and before I went on long service leave, I did resign from, my, from the... Uh, the role in particular. So the agreement I had with the organisation was if I stayed with the organisation, I wouldn't have to go back into that role. So I was able to, from a market perspective, I was able to resign. I was able to say goodbye to my customers. Um, they knew that I was tying a bow around that chapter and I would not be back. Mm-hmm. And it was very much from the, the feedback that I received and the, the sentiments I received from them afterwards that really made me think, gosh, if I've been, if this is the value I've been offering other people, number one, I wish I knew this years ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, or if this is what I've been teaching other people, maybe there's something in this. Maybe there's something I can do with this. And that became my next sort of rabbit warren of curiosity that I dove down and started exploring and then, you know, found a real passion for creating the content using the, the wisdom that had developed over my experience the years of my experience and also a real passion for coaching and just wanting to give back and to help people. Mm. I think 
you know, to find myself, to go back to your original question, um, financially, being able to go and leave for a few months was a slightly softer landing pad, but it was incredibly difficult. I'm not going to lie. It was incredibly difficult. And the there were a lot of lessons that I learned about myself during this time. Number one was I there was a lot about I didn't need the lifestyle that I thought I needed. I thought that's what made me happy. But I fast realised that I one of the reasons I burnt out was I'd lost sight of who I was and I'd lost that connection with myself and I'd lost, I, was mis- I wasn't happy. I, for such a long time, I had not been happy. And taking the time to really work through that, um, I worked through that with a wonderful psychologist and um, who I still see on a monthly basis as a check-in now, um, taking the time to work through that and to understand now what makes me happy made me realise that I didn't need a lifestyle I thought I did. And that all of a sudden becomes, it all of a sudden, what I needed became a lot less expensive. <laughs> it's really interesting. I think it's, you know, people say there's that saying, if you can have it all, but not at the same time. And I think that a lot of that comes down to what is our definition of having it all? Agree. You know, yeah. Yeah. I think that's really important. So there's been an enormous shift for me, as you can probably tell, and your listeners will tell in terms of what is important to me as a person and what makes me happy. And that's because I feel like for the first time in my early 40s, I actually understood myself and I was able to answer that question. I love the 40s. I'm so happy in my 40s as well. (laughs) Isn't the 40s just great? great. They are so great. I never expected them to be so great. (laughs) So much more comfortable in myself. So much more not caring what other people think. <laughs> yes. Now, there's a lot to say about your 40s. So if, you know, I'm a mother like you, the kids are a bit more grown up. Well, my kids are adults now, but yours is a teenager. You have more time as well to reflect and you're not in such a, a steep learning curve career-wise. You've learned things and you can look yeah. back and think, do I really yeah. like what I've done or do I want to move on? And it's the yeah. opportunity to reset, isn't it? It's an opportunity. to think okay I'm in my 40s now do I really want this for the rest of my career or if yes then okay let's do it let's sink our teeth Mm. into it but if no then it is the time to make a a big bold change and you know and still sink your teeth into something else absolutely and I you know I think that um you know when I started my coaching business I was like anyone who starts their own business, you have then all of a sudden you've got all of that pressure on yourself. <laughs> and it was just really, you know, I was back creating, I was back building something, which is what I'd done previously, but this time it was my own and the, the product and the service was different. And I thought, you know, if I just apply the same principles here, it'll work. The hardest part was understanding my my value and then what price to, to put on that, I guess, in a way. But just focusing on those fundamentals and building those partnerships and keeping, you know, being curious about um, you know, what I was interested in, being very clear on my professional purpose um, and now making sure I, I live, you know, daily by that were important mm-hmm. to me. And and then the money, the money is just follows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's now- that byproduct again. So 
Yeah, it's really interesting. And I think there's an element of um, if you are going to, to make a break like that, like what I did, I mean, would I have done it differently? I, I don't know. But um, I think it's really important to address the practicalities and to be mindful of if you haven't been under financial stress before, that it can be incredibly debilitating. Yes. Um, and I think there needs to be an element of you preparing yourself for that um, mm. or to prevent that from happening. So yeah. that's from the practical sense. And then from the emotional sense, it's, you know, there's no, no one's, there's no one that says, um, there's no rule that says that you're not going to earn that sort of money again in a different way. And what makes you happy can change. And what you yes. need can change. Like your life changes. Life isn't, we're not designed to be static individuals in the one place. We're designed to evolve and we're designed to constantly grow. And I think we need to have a little bit of faith in ourselves for that. And we need to surround ourselves with the right support and resources to help us do that as well, to make those transitions in our career. Yes, now that's such a good point. Um, and by the time we release this episode, I would have already released an episode where I talk about uh, leaving your job and how to step out of a job uh, without making things worse. Yeah. I see a lot of other professionals, uh, professional coaches, um, sometimes insisting, you know, the five reasons why it's the time to leave your job. You know, there's like catchy phrases mm -hmm. for and headlines for for articles that I, I think are so um, icky because you you know this now, once you step into the unknown, which is, you know, leaving your professional mm. status and gravitas and, and stepping into something new, it, you don't know how long it will take for you to reach the end of that tunnel. Yeah. You know, in your mind, in theory, you think, oh, I'll get it, some, something else in three months. But if you are very debilitated and exhausted, or if you're reconsidering where you want to land, if you don't have a clear path, it could be months, it could be more than a mm. year, it could be a long time. So I recorded this episode and it will be out by the time this one is out. So I'll link below where you can find it if anyone mm. is interested in listening to it. Because ideally you want to bootstrap yourself so that by the time you leave, that, that financial stress doesn't compound on the other stresses that you already have. Exactly. That's yeah, exactly that's an right. important one. But now that you are um, helping other professionals, I mean, we are in this very um, unique, surreal even situation in 2021 where we thought we would be out of lockdown. In Melbourne, as we record this, we're just coming out of lockdown today, kind of. <laughs> I feel restricted there. <laughs> Have, yes, we have still the pandemic going. We still have, you know, um, uh, traveling issues. We can't go to overseas in Australia. How does that affect sales professionals in this now virtual world where most people are working from home? I know my, my husband who has a, a profession that includes seeing clients. He has been told not to see clients. He can mm. only liaise with his clients online. He cannot go mm -hmm. and see them. And in fact, he doesn't think that if he went to the offices, there will be anyone there. Mm. So it's a new world. Has the has sales professionals kind of adapted to that? Has that has this impacted sales in any way? Absolutely. Um, mm. 
Oh boy, yeah, it really has. I think we have to find a different way of working. And I guess um, for me, I like I said earlier, I, I never use the word sales. I use the word partnerships, partnerships and commercial growth. I think that it's a nice way of it. It removes the stigma. I find when I'm working, I do quite a bit of work with um, with clinicians who need to grow businesses, and it's important. I, I learned pretty quickly that it was important to remove that stigma associated with sales or the feeling that you're asking somebody for money. So I like to talk in terms of partnership. With regard to the changes that the pandemic has done, I think we have to accept that this is just this is our new reality and we don't know how long it's going to go for. So we have to find ways of making it work and we have to find ways to generate commercial growth, um, build partnerships and generate commercial growth. I think it can be very difficult, yes, to go out and to prospect in this type of environment. However, I think if we focus more on a couple of things, we focus on the opportunity that this sort of market disruption provides. We realise that we all have changing needs and we're all in this together and are there opportunities for us to collaborate and work together to achieve our um, a mutually beneficial outcome, I think is one way of looking at it. Number two, I think... Um, commercial growth strategy of customer experience has never been more important and really looking after your core group of customers you have at the moment and, and how you can you can you can grow your business based on that particular core group and based on their changing needs at the moment because the reality is, is we've all got all of our needs have changed in the way that we work and the way we deliver. So so rather than you know has this environment changed sales? Um, yes, to answer your question, I, I believe it has, and I believe that um, that focus on growth strategy as opposed to selling transactions helps us think outside of the box. I think if we keep trying to do things the way that we used to previously, it's going to be very difficult. So I think we need to think differently about it. What does it mean to focus on growth strategies instead of sales transaction? What, how is that a mindset shift or are there sort of real tangible um, things that you can do to activate that? Um, so I guess what I talk about when I talk about growth strategy is and it's, the pandemic provides a really provided an interesting environment last year when we were in stage four lockdowns here in Victoria. You know, you're working in an environment where most businesses were closed as you alluded to earlier and you know, we couldn't go out and we couldn't see people and all of a sudden if your growth strategy was to go out there and to prospect in new markets it was very very difficult to do that now if you had a business that was lucky enough to be able to keep operating I think you had to all of a sudden adjust your focus for a certain amount of time in any case you had to adjust your focus to what it was that you could control which was For example, as I mentioned earlier, that that experience of the customer experience that you were providing those customers that you had, that was something that you could control. And that's a strategy that grows business as opposed to um, going out and pursuing a new market or, you know, uh, acquiring another product or, you know, innovating um, or innovation at the time, which just might not have been possible or might no longer have been relevant given the changes that we've had in our environment. So I think the From a growth strategy perspective, you know, there are lots of different ways we can generate commercial growth. And I think that's what we had to be creative about. I mean, the outcome of generating commercial growth is going to be sales. 
But if we spend our time focusing on the outcome, I think we get increasingly frustrated. Whereas if we focus on the journey to get there and we focus on the process of growth, we're also at the same time and often without realising it, uh, you know, we're tapping into um, to growing within ourselves as well in doing that, you know, yeah. uh, whether that's us ourselves or, or organisations arming themselves with the, the diverse thinking and the capability to be able to do that and to think, I think is really important, has been has demonstrated, it's, the importance has been demonstrated over the environment, changing environment in the past 18 months. Yeah. I want to go into the idea of strengths in professional success. Mm-hmm. And there is a, a chapter or more than one in your book where you feel very uh, conflicted about your strengths because it felt like they were guiding you instead of the other way around. I had never thought of that personally. I I've always seen strengths as something positive, but I completely got what you were trying to say. It's almost like you have to be careful what you're good at, isn't it? Yeah. It may be you be might, might be drifting away, believing in that too much and losing your purpose. So that's the mix between purpose and strengths that I thought was really interesting when I was reading your book. Um how how is your relationship with your strengths now? Are they still the same or do you think that your disruption in your career in your life have been so great that you might have different strengths? It's so interesting that you bring this up and I've obviously thought about this a lot because for a long time I felt as though my strengths almost strengths were very much emphasised and were used within the organisation that I used to work for and I felt like in some ways they restricted me, I guess, or pigeonholed me mm-hmm. and that was frustrating. I don't know whether or not that's a fact. That's just my perception and how it made me feel. And I went through such a change in leaving that job and changing that environment that I reset that exact same strength assessment and they were different. Oh. And that was fascinating because my understanding was and certainly the organisation that does the, the strength assessment says that you need to have a pretty major shift in your life for your strengths to change. And I certainly had that shift. It was exactly the same, exactly the same test but a, a different top five and it was a relief. Like, <laughs> no. um, and, you know, because I feel like such a different, I'm the same person but there's parts of me that feel so different now. Can you tell us what the biggest shift was? What was the biggest shift be- between the, the, the one you did prior to your career transition and, and now? Yeah, so, you know, discipline, strategy, focus, achiever um, were, you know, right up there in my top five yeah. um, constantly and which for me felt I now associate that rightly or wrongly. I, I associate that with a very um, strict regimented robotic type of existence <laughs> um, and that's that's the association that that I made um, 
Now, they are my strengths and they absolutely work for me and they continue to work for me, you know, in many ways. I can see that now. However, the new assessment that I did and the different strengths were very much reflected creativity and ideation and, you know, relating to people and connecting. And that, for me, like I said, that was just such a relief because I feel as though in the past few years I have really been able to um, to feed I've identified how important creativity is to me and creativity is what that's where our purpose is derived from so I understand that now so long as I'm creating I I just that's just such a happy place for for me to be you know in my brain so that was for me a massive shift and how do I use my strengths now I think now now I understand where they fit in the bigger picture a lot better than what I did previously. I really, with a focus primarily on strengths, I only ever thought about these are my strengths, not where they fit in a bigger picture. I thought that was the picture. Mm. Whereas, so now I have this um, phrase which started um, or stemmed from a, a wonderful book I read by an organisational psychologist called Fiona Murden, her book. Um, is called Defining You and it's like a Bible for me. It's highlighted and post-it notes everywhere and I I absolutely love it. But um, there were some words that she spoke about in there that form the basis of the mantra I use today, which are, you know, your purpose is derived from your, uh, your values and your passion and it's brought to life through your strengths and your preferences. Mm-hmm. And it's realized through the connections we make with others, through learning and through giving. Mm. And now I've kind of got this picture for myself with you know purpose and values and um, strengths and preferences and and the giving, the learning and the connecting. And I look at that and I that for me is the roadmap to my professional picture now. Yeah. Yeah, now that and sounds like a it. complete sentence that just makes so much sense. Everybody should yeah. get out and have it in a... Yeah, yes. I must post that up on my socials. I haven't done that yet. It sort of sits <laughs> in a little inspirational tile just for me at the moment, but um, mm-hmm. it's something I will put out there because I do think that it's really important we understand the big picture. Our purpose keeps us connected with ourselves. Our values keep us connected with ourselves. We need to understand what we're interested in. I often say to people when sales, when they're looking for a sales role, consider what you're interested in and what you're passionate about because that's the conversation you're having every day and you have to love the conversation you have every day. Otherwise, you won't be in it for the long haul. And then understanding where my strengths fit into all of that, that's the, you know, that's the the delivery method. That's, That's what other people see, but equally you need to understand what, people don't see in what's within you Um, and you're the only person who can define that 
Yes, that's so beautiful. I'm glad you shared it with us. Thank you so much for sharing so much wisdom with the podcast and our listeners. I'm going to make sure that if they want to reach out to you, that they know where to go. There will be a link below for you to find out more about Peta's work, about her book. If you want to buy the book, I absolutely 100% recommend. And I hope that you are now a friend of the podcast and maybe you can come back some other time to chat to us again. That would be great. Thanks for having me, Renata. It's fabulous. Thank you. Thanks for finding the time. I really, really wonderful to have you. Pleasure. <laughs> Bye. Bye.